Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I'm the founder and host, Ms. Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me in the hot seat is Eric Moore, and here is a bit about Eric, y'all. Get ready for some fire-filled conversation. He is a change agent on a mission to help quiet leaders become powerful communicators. What makes Eric different is his infectious and nonviolent communication strategies and design thinking. Eric is the founder and CEO of The Design Thinker, a training and consultant program for creative agencies and entrepreneurs seeking to grow their leadership skills. Since founding The Design Thinker, Eric has advised design firms, software companies, and video game makers across the world on how to deprogram themselves from the standard approach to solving communication problems. Eric is a regular contributor to medium.com where he writes on topics from design thinking to the future of work. You can find Eric active on LinkedIn and YouTube. Eric lives in Seattle, Washington. And today we're going to spend some time talking about interpersonal communication strategies and just overall how to be an effective communicator. So without further ado, please welcome Eric Moore to GEMS Podcast. Thanks, Genesis. Man, that was that was a fiery bio. Thank you. You make me sound so much better than I I really am. (laughs) My pleasure, Eric. And before we dive into our segment, we're definitely going to get to know you a little more personally. So I'm going to give you two options. We could play a rapid fire 10 question game or break the ice. What would you like? What's break the ice? So I just asked you something crazy or a fun and interesting fact for you to share about yourself. Uh, Let's do that one. Let's break the ice. Okay. We're breaking the ice with Eric Moore. So Eric, share something crazy that you've done in your life or a fun but interesting fact about yourself. Okay. I don't know if I did the thing that was crazy, but I had a crazy thing happen to me. So in 1999, I got my first job as an audio-visual technician at Microsoft out here in Redmond, Washington. Now, at the time, um, there I was just learning, right? And I was being thrown into going to these conference rooms on the campus at, at Microsoft, and they had these beautiful conference rooms with big projectors and hookups for your laptop. But this was like old school technology. I mean, you're going back to 99, I'm aging myself a little bit, but like these were just really, they were kind of bad and they would fail frequently. Okay, well, I'm on the first week of my job and I'm being mentored. I'm I'm along with the, the expert and we're driving along and a radio call comes in that says, problem in conference room A with Steve Ballmer. Now, Steve Ballmer at the time was the 
chief operating officer of Microsoft. It was Tim and Bill Gates. Right? But I was worried because Balmer had a has a reputation of being, let's just say, bombastic. He can kind of be, he can yell. And I don't take to yelling too, too well. So, and I was new on the job. So my mentor said, yeah, you're going to do this one. So I, I come up to the conference room and it's got one of those double push doors and I slowly open it up and I see Steve Ballmer presenting to like a bunch of people in suits. These were like people from like IBM and HP, probably some oil and gas people. He's trying to pitch them on how to use, like buy the next wave of windows or whatever it was but I could see the projector was just, it was blaring blue. There was no image, right? So I, I creep up trying not to be noticed and was just gonna go up to the podium and just kind of fiddle with the wires. And he sees me and he looks back to the audience. He goes, give me a couple of seconds here. Pulls me over and he says, if you don't get this up in 10 seconds, it's your effing job. And he turns, goes to the audience, and he says, okay, everybody, this young man's going to help us. I want you to help count down in 10, 9. And he starts clapping, and everyone starts clapping with him. And so I'm like, open up the podium, and I'm looking around, and it's spaghetti wires, right? I feel like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Do I cut the green wire, or do I cut the blue wire? Then I look down, and the, the power strip had just tripped. I could see the light was off, and he gets down to three two and I hit the button and the power comes back on and I'm sweating. I slowly close the, the podium doors and I walk out and everyone's clapping for me. So that's my crazy Steve Ballmer Microsoft story. Oh, wow. That is intense. But just to hear um, him say, he pulls you aside. If you don't get this done, it's your effing job to be, to turn it back to the on. Yeah everyone he's gonna and just the high energy that you said it, I'm like oh wow like dude are you on the spectrum there <laughs> <laughs> oh uh bomber for saying that or me no bomber because I I could just like visualize it like let me talk to you to the side if you don't get this <laughs> right now to, to be to be fair I later ran into him because I often would help the, the executives with their AV needs and I asked him if he remembered me. He's like, yeah, I would have never fired you. You were motivated. It got you to do the job. And I'm like, mm. you know, I raised my fist to him and sort of jokingly, but like, but that's what has led me into this form of communication is that I'm in now is I don't want to ever go back to that. I don't think anybody should be treated that way. Now, arguably some people like that kind of intense scenarios, but I think there's ways we can communicate better. So, yes. And that, and I love how you framed it up because now it helps us segue into our topic, which is how to effectively communicate. And there's so many different ways that we communicate that people may not realize it. There's verbal communication and nonverbal communication. There's interpersonal communication. And sometimes that interpersonal communication affects the external communication. You may be thinking it in your mind and before you know it, you have that faux pas, that word vomit, and you're like, oh crap, did I just say that out loud? And um, your tone of voice also matters. Your tone of voice, 
your body language, how fast you're speaking, how fast, how slow you're speaking. I think all of these are components that go into communication and making sure that is a, it is effective yet efficient communication. So since you are the SME in this area, Eric, let's um, lay the foundation. When you think about communication, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? I think the first thing that pops in my mind is um, just establishing uh, or, or recognizing my own form of communication in relation to the other person. And uh, just much like you said, it, am I going to use the right tone? Is, are the words that are in my brain going to be the ones that I actually use? Um, you know, I haven't got to know you very well, but you seem very steady. Um, in a way, soft-spoken, I would try to mirror that as best as I can so in, as, as a way to de deliver whatever message I'm about to deliver. Absolutely. And then whenever you are communicating, whether you're communicating one-on-one -on -one in a group setting or you're communicating to an audience via a presentation, um, that also matters as well, how you deliver that communication. So I want you to paint us a scenario of a time that Eric had to learn how to quickly adjust your communication style and how has it helped you personally and professionally? Oh, wow. You really are putting me in the hot seat. Um, I, there's so many. I mean, you can ask my wife. <laughs> she, watch your tone, young man. <laughs> or, or my grandmother will tell me. Um, I'll give one recently that I felt like maybe I was insensitive or uh, I wasn't fully understanding what the other person said. And this was in a professional setting. Uh, this individual was sharing a concern about going back into the office now that we're you know, sort of easing up on pandemic rules. And um, this individual was, was, was upset. It felt like they were being forced um, and they, this person was really concerned about others who might be immunocompromised. And when she mentioned this, I said, well, what did the immunocompromised people do before the pandemic? And she clapped back at me and she's like, we're in the pandemic. And it was at that moment I was like, okay, I probably said the wrong thing. And I, I stepped back and I said, well, I want to be clear, are, are, these, are these immunocompromised people being asked to come back? And when I took that moment to recognize her body language, and obviously it was on Zoom, so I can only read as much as I could, but taking her tone of voice, I, like you said, that was a great cue. But just to, to hone in on that, I didn't retreat. I didn't necessarily think I was bad, because that's what a lot of... Um, a lot of us do is we think, oh, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, I'm sorry. I just paused and clarified, hey, I actually, what I'm trying to understand is, are these people being forced? And then she, she said, oh, no, I just, she said, I'm just feeling in, in this emotional time. And that leads me to my other sort of lesson or things that I want to share in communication, which is sometimes people don't want advice. They just want empathy. It's like, do you want a shoulder to cry on or do you want a brain? 
And if you go into conversations that way, I, I find that you just, there's more openness and less conflict. So that's my share. Yeah. And one thing that I took away from that share, Eric, is that whenever she said it in a way that came off as aggressive or a way that she was bothered, you didn't retreat. You just rephrase what you meant because sometimes what we say and what the receiver hears can be two different things and that can conflict the communication. It could either halt it or it could help advance the communication. And I think one part about communication that goes hand in hand is to effectively and actively listen to what the communicator is saying. And whenever you feel like something is off or derail, ask for clarification just so there's no assumptions there. Yeah, it's so powerful. The active listening is is core to that. And I, we completely skipped over it. But, but yeah, I don't think it's... Yep, retreating seems to be a pretty common theme lately because we're, you know, we're sort of being told to watch what we say. And obviously there's good, for good reason. Um, but uh, it, it's, it was a great learning moment for me, but it was in real time. Like I didn't have to go and think about it too long. I was able to do it in real time. And that's where I try to help my clients is to, you know, Sometimes you got to have those difficult conversations or sometimes you're going to flub. And particularly when I work with leaders and their teams, I try to remind people, like, give each other space to correct yourself. So if I, you know, if I said what I said to her and made her feel upset, if I was, if, if I was working with her in this communication capacity, she would have known to go internally, okay, I'm getting upset, but I'm going to, I'm going to clarify, Eric, did you mean this? So it, that would have been a great moment for her to use. Absolutely. That clarification, yeah. And with the work that you're doing to help people become better communicators, what are some tips, some, tr- some tips, some tricks, and some resources that you use to navigate those communications? Well, so uh, the first resource that I go to is uh, Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication. Um, you know, he's, he's since passed, but you can see a number of his videos on YouTube. The book, he has a series of books on Amazon, but the, the core one is nonviolent communication um, in which there's really four key things to remember, which is you, you need to communicate with observations. In other words, um, don't use judgments like, well, how dare you yell at me? Or, um, you know, Janelle is lazy. That's why her work is always late. What you should say, because that's a judgment, you're saying she's lazy. What you should be saying is, you know, for the, for the past two projects, I've noticed Janelle has turned in her work late. It's not a judgment, it's an observation. So that's one big tip that I have people think about when they start to communicate something. Because when we're all working, we're all frustrated, like when a deadline is missed or we're trying to get our work in. How do you remove that judgment and make the observation? I like that. I'm going to chime in there. Because what you just did was you saw it as an observation, not an assumption. 
because if you said Janelle was lazy, that's an assumption that she may not be lazy and you don't know if maybe she had IT issues, maybe the deadline got pushed back that you weren't aware of or whatever the case may, may be, but then you switched it from an assumption base to an observation base, which brought in the factual of what was actually taking place. That one, I out of the four, I think it's the, the one I tend to tell um, my clients to use the most. Okay. Um, and I'll get into the other, other three in a minute, but observations is key. Now, here's why it gets a little tricky. Number two, it's from observations, you move into feelings versus non-feelings. And the idea here is, is don't mix up your feelings with expressions of your thoughts. And we can often confuse an observation with our actual feelings, which um, I think the, the story that I shared where um, the woman was, she was feeling something about coming back to work, but it was also a true observation. Like they were asking people to come back. So um, an example further might be, I feel I didn't get a fair deal in my annual review. I feel I didn't get a fair deal in my annual review. What, how you flip that is you say, I'm disappointed in my annual review and here are a few, few reasons why. Because I worked extra hours, I, I met those deadlines. Um, saying I feel um, is, it's not an observation. You're just feeling angry because your boss is not gonna give you money <laughs> for your annual review or you know, a bonus or what have you. So be clear on your feelings versus the observations. And it's okay to share the feelings as to why. So the feelings versus the non-feelings and then being clear about the observations. So one is observations. Two is the comparison between feelings versus non-feelings. Yeah, I think a better way to say it is you wanna, you know, I guess the best way to say is distinguish between the words that express your feelings and the words that describe what you think. Mm, okay. Um, okay. I yeah. see that because what you think may be different than how you feel. And then there you could um, think about the emotions around it and really connect to ask yourself the why and the what. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are a quick learn. <laughs> that was awesome. You said it better than I could. Um, Okay, so observations and just being clear on your feelings versus what you're thinking. Okay, now you get into number three, which is acknowledging your needs. Because a lot of times we get emotional and say, man, I, I didn't like that review. I'm so mad at the boss. And it, really what's happening there is some unmet need. You need the extra money. Mom's in the hospital. Are you dealing with a job loss because of the pandemic? So acknowledging your needs for something to happen a certain way can help ease negative feelings. So good leaders are clear what they need from others. Or, you know, if you're not in a leadership position, you need to be clear what you need from your, your bosses or, you know, whomever you're working with. So an example of this might be, um, and I'm not, I'm just going to use you as an example, Genesis. You irritate me when you don't double check your spelling when we do our social media posts. <laughs> I know you don't do that, but after what you would say is, 
I feel really embarrassed when those spelling mistakes show up in our social media posts because I want our company to project a professional image. So you're sharing your feeling, but you're saying, I have a need with that. Can you, can you at least acknowledge it? Yes, absolutely. So I'm acknowledging what you're saying, and then I'm rebuttaling back with how I'm feeling. So you kind of get where I'm coming from. And then I'm also addressing the fact that I'm going to work on it. So our company is projected in a proper manner. Yeah. I mean, in this case, it, it's almost like feelings, observations, all in one. I feel embarrassed, but you do misspell. <laughs> and notice it's on the I. It's never saying you, Genesis, are a tele- terrible speller. Um, or you're, it's just saying I've noticed you don't double check your spelling. That's a very clear observation. You might be a brilliant speller, but you had a couple of bad days. So I want to be clear that this is focusing on acknowledging your needs. So in this case, I'm, I need you to spell, <laughs> double check your spelling. Okay, so observations, feelings, and acknowledging your needs. All right, last one. Number four, make requests, not demands. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of demands on this at work. Get done on time. Double check your spelling. If you're a graphic designer, you know, make sure that the colors are correct, all, all those things. Requests are those things we would like to ask of each other to enrich our working relationships. So what I mean by that is, uh, <clears throat> at least the way I've seen it play out in my workplace, is that um, if you're going to make a demand, then you know, be very clear that, hey, I'm, I'm do, I need you to do this. Like, there's no negotiation. But if you make a request, you're opening it up for more um, clarity is the best way to say it. There's no ambiguity in there. So, for example, you might say, I'd like you to be honest with me about yesterday's meeting. Well, that could be a very scary thing because if I am honest with you and tell you, hey, Genesis, you did not, you, you didn't uh, present very well in the meeting. And then you go, what? You, you weren't being clear with what you actually wanted. So you might say something like, can you share from your perspective on yesterday's meeting, specifically when I was presenting X? Could I have done something differently or should I have said something differently? So there you're making a very clear request, whereas a demand, it's kind of like a hidden, hey, you better watch what you say, but I need you to tell it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, that absolutely makes sense. So this is how I heard it. So whenever you're making requests, it is um, opening the conversation. It becomes a two-way street. When you're making demands, you're projecting what you want to happen but then you may not have control over what happens. And I feel like when demands are made, you need to come with facts. You need to have evidence, especially like if someone was coming to me and I was going, I'm going back in time to when I was in oil and gas and I was an HSC manager. When you come into my office and you're demanding something like you want to make some changes or et cetera, tell me how is this change adding value? 
How is it going to benefit you and the team? It can't just be one side. But if you say, hey, Genesis, I would like to consider this, this, and this because of X, Y, and Z, then that to me comes across as a request, not a demand. Because if you come to me and be like, hey, I want to do this. And I'm like, hold on. Did we look at all the facts? Do we have the black and white and all of that? And so I think it's two sides of it. So I, I do like the way that you uh, phrased it up in the example that you gave um, with making requests, not demands. And I put not in capital because <laughs> I'm actually taking notes because these are going to be in the show notes, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a lot there, but I hope it, it um, flows evenly. Yes, it does. And so Eric, whenever you think about... Um, if you're working with a specific client, because I know you've managed up, and when I say managed up, you've worked with a lot of executives and C-suites and all of that. Um, what's the communication like when you're managing up? Because if we think about it, when you're an entrepreneur and you are pitching for sponsorships, a lot of times you're managing up. You're speaking to those head honchos who have the money to make the buying power or make those decisions. So you're not talking to someone that's at the bottom of the totem pole. So that's that's going to be a different conversation versus if it was another way around. And feel free to um, reword the question if it makes it easier to answer. So just the the initial part of the question is how do I communicate with the head honchos as you call them? <laughs> yeah, because I think that's going to be a big component as people begin to grow in their career, whether they're doing it in a nine to five setting or if they're doing it in an entrepreneurship journey. So directly to uh, executives or VPs, um, one of the things I try to establish is how do they actually communicate presently? Assume I wasn't even there in the room, but just if I were a fly on the wall, how do they communicate? So I'll ask, hey, hey can I join one of your team meetings or you're giving a presentation and I'll, I'll be in mute only mode and you know I'm taking notes. Um, part of that is a challenge because then they perform because <laughs> they know I'm in the room. So then I'll ask for recordings as well where I'm not around if they, you know, most most meetings are recorded these days in, in companies for um, purposes where people can't show up in different time zones. And then from there, I'll have a meeting with them and I'll, um, you know, I'll just ask them, what's, what are you working on? What's most pressing to you? And, and then really that starts to unearth their persona, their psyche. And I'm not a psychologist, but you know, I've been in this business long enough to understand that most of these um, uh, personality types are type A, or they want to get things done. They're also ambitious. And so they're taking on a lot, but I want to know the one thing that's really has most of their focus because that's probably where they need the most um, first bit of communication because they want help like presenting, maybe it's copywriting or, you know, ghostwriting on their behalf. But then the second thing is, it's their employee engagement. They just are leaving. They're so busy that they're not looking back at their employees. And, you know, and what I mean by that is, what kind of emails are they sending, especially when it's coming from their desk? You know, it's like from the desk of VP so-and-so, or, hey, we're making an announcement. And don't stop and slow down to think about what that, how that's going to affect their employee and what that engagement looks like. 
So those are the two big things I look at. Okay, perfect. Employee engagement. And then the first thing is asking the question so you can see where they're coming from. And as we wind down, I'm going to ask you this question because I'm very <laughs> observant. So I see on your wall, it says design for people. Yeah. How important is that for you in communication? Yes. So uh, I am also a practitioner in design thinking, which, you know, it's been around for a number of years, but it's basically the designer's process. So if you're going to design a product, like a chair or an app, like a service, um, like Airbnb or some sort, I take that approach and I put it into to business environments. Because most of the individuals working together, they need to collaborate. And design thinking has this great little framework for collaborating really well, really effectively, using those four components of nonviolent communication. So I've kind of blended the two. And so um, why I have that poster designed for people is I ask four questions when I work with the team. I ask them to see the world they're in, understand the world they're in, make something for the world they're in, and then tell the world their story. Those are the four things. It's a, a it's a, I borrowed a little bit from the Stanford D School of Design that has the five steps in design thinking, which is empathy, define, ideate, prototype, test. It's a little bit more on the technical product building side. I've taken a version of that and, and applied it to um, human interactions at work and building communication structures. Thank you for sharing that. I was just very inquisitive there. And as we wind down, I want you to leave the listeners and viewers with your call to action for this segment, whether it's something that's going to challenge them to spark some inspiration or motivate them to do something different in their communication style, or if you want them to just connect with you on a personal level, whether it's your website, your social media, or et cetera. Yeah, so I think for next time, what I want people to do from this, um, listening to this podcast is do the observation exercise. Recognize if you're about to make a judgment, like, hey, you're lazy, versus why have you not turned in your work in the past two times? Just flip it on its head, figure out where an observation or judgment is, and try it out with your coworkers or a loved one. I mean, that's really powerful. We hadn't talked about the personal side. And then, yes, feel free to reach out to me. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, I also uh, collaborate with the educational company called The Future. And you can see a few of my videos on, on their channel. But I'm on LinkedIn. It shows up as Eric Stephen Moore. or Eric, I can't remember the full URL, but you just look up Eric Moore, Design Thinker. It'll come up. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. You just heard Eric Moore. All of his contact information will be in the show notes. So definitely plug in with him and be a design thinker when it comes to your communication style. Remember, communication is key and you want to make sure you communicate effectively, but you also want to make sure you listen actively. So Make sure you share and subscribe to the podcast. We're on 40 plus platforms. You can see the videos on YouTube by typing at GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. 
And lastly, but not least, I want to thank you so much for continuing to tap in with me and my guests on a daily basis. Because of you, we are now ranked in the top 3% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts for www.listennotes.com. Head on over there for all the metrics. And for those of you interested in becoming a sponsor, you can find out more information by going to genesisamariskemp.net to learn more. Until next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing one. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-S, at gmail.com where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.